Cascadia and the edge of the world, Euphomet presents Night Drift with Jim Perry. Good evening, I'm Jim Perry, and you're listening to Night Drift, presented by Euphomet. Broadcasting tonight from the mothership, the studio of 1150 AM KKNW in Seattle, I'm back here at my home studio, the hinterlands of the Oregon coast. And of course, we are also streaming worldwide at nightdrift.com. Tonight, a conversation that I've been so excited to have. We've had a book for maybe a month or more now, and uh, I, I can't wait to bring this conversation to you. It's a conversation with Cheryl Costa, a career data analyst, journalist, and UFO researcher. I've listened to Cheryl appear on radio shows and, and read her work for years. So it's a conversation buckle up for. There's going to be some numbers involved. There's going to be some data. There's going to be some personal stories. I can't wait to get into it. And that's tonight. The question you should ask yourself is, what is it about UFOs that hold us? Right? It's a topic that won't, won't, won't let me go. You know, I mean, you have an experience yourself and it makes it even worse. You know, some of us are lucky enough. To, to have an experience with something that is of the unknown. And when they're in an almost light and when there is a conversation occurring, when there is potentially an interaction, eh, at sometimes you, you at once feel alone, but you also feel like, well, maybe we are not alone. Within that, you know, it, it is like work that Cheryl puts together that gives us actual data that shows us, no, 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 you having this personal experience with something you can't understand, you're not alone. People all over the country and all over the world are having similar experiences. It's a phenomenon that is not leaving you behind, but is including you in that conversation. So that's what we'll be talking a little bit about tonight. Also, before, but before all that, you know, thank you for listening to our recent Euphemet. It featured Suzanne, who was a lifelong is a lifelong experiencer. Again, a a story that has the potential to make one feel as if they are not alone. We're also opening lines in the second half of the program. You, not alone, can join the conversation with us. Share your story. Do you have a question for Cheryl about UFO data? Have you had an experience yourself that you can't explain? You can call us at 425-373-5527 or toll-free in Western Washington, 888-298-KKNW-5569. That's tonight on Night Drift, right after this. Follow Night Drift with Jim Perry on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes.
You're listening to Night Drift with Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, KKNW, Seattle. Now, here again is Jim. That's right. I'm back again here on Night Drift. Listen, I haven't done a live show in a few weeks, so I'm shaking off some weds here. <laughs> we, we did, however, though, do some shows over on our Patreon. So if in the future you would like to join us over there, you can go to patreon.com slash If you're already a patron, listen, you help the show out tremendously. So thank you for that. And real quick, I'd also like to thank our sponsors, AMC Networks, Shudder, and BetterHelp. And a special thanks to all of you who recently contributed to our sponsor, The Build-Out. This indie film met and surpassed their campaign goal, so this film is happening thanks to you. And now let's jump right into it. Our guest tonight, Cheryl Costa, is a native of upstate New York. She's a two-service military veteran, USAF and USN, and a retired professional from the aerospace industry. Cheryl is a journalist. She wrote the wildly popular UFO column, New York Skies, for SyracuseNewTimes.com from 2013 to 2019. She holds a Bachelor's of Art degree from the State University of New York at Empire State College in Entertainment Writing and Production, was awarded Researcher of the Year 2018 by the International UFO Congress, and Cheryl is joining us right here, right now. Hey, Cheryl. Hey, how you doing, Jim? Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you tonight. I'm jittery with drinking too much coffee, but I hope you're, <laughs> you know, with your with your degree in, in, in production entertainment writing, you'll be able to, uh, you know, kind of carry me through this show. So I appreciate that in advance. No worries. <laughs> well, listen, I'll let you know straight away that uh, I myself have had numerous and powerful sightings in which have really helped inform me to start the Euphemet podcast, as well as this very radio show. So I have followed and appreciated your work for many years, but for those uninitiated listening now, how would you describe what it is that you do? Um, well, the easiest way to put this is uh, back when I was writing the newspaper column, 2013 to 2019. Okay, 200, we did uh, 238 articles over that time. Oh, wow. And, um, the idea was to, tr when I pitched, I had a lot of editors throw me out of the office kind of thing, chase yeah. me out the door, ch uh, have security escort me to the door. And, um, and then I had an editor at the a weekly paper called the Syracuse New Times. And they were, they, they were interested. They wanted some, they wanted more stuff to pump up their, um, their web edition. Hmm. So I pitched them this and they said, we'll try you out for a month. Hmm. Okay. The editor did. And uh, about a month later, calls me up on the phone, kind of has that um, Princess Bride, Dread Pirate Robert sound, I need to talk to you now kind of thing, you know. <laughs> and I figured that was it, you know. And I, okay, those five articles, that's all I'm going to get to do. And I walk right. in late to the meeting because they're, they're tearing up the parking lot. And he's got all the columnists sitting there around this big conference table. And I come walking in, he's talking to them. He stops, looks over, sees me by the door, points at me and says, there's our rock star. Wow. And I, and I looked at him, I said, <laughs> what are you talking about? He says, you've been here four weeks and you're pulling more page views than all of our columnists combined. <laughs> and uh, th that was a big deal for a small paper. Yeah. You know, and um, so New York State was my beat. And what I started doing was um, I'd be going through um, MUFON data and I'd be going through a National UFO Reporting Center data. And I would, uh, if you found a report that was much more than a sentence that said, wow, I saw something, right. uh, <laughs> you took, you, you took a, a little bit, people wrote a little bit more veracity. I could usually make a story out of it. And one of the things we were noted for and got a lot of nice mail about was the fact that I reported the UFO stories without sensation. I reported it like the, the fire across town, the car accident down the street, or the right. burglary uh, over in the next block. I made yeah. it a very matter-of-fact thing. And people liked that um, respectful reporting that it is a day-to-day -day thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, just like that beat reporter. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That that was my beat. And in fact, uh, when the paper went under in, two, in June of 2019, um, because I was always technically a freelance, um, I was allowed to keep my articles. So the publisher let me come in and uh, harvest all the final versions of the articles out of their server. 
and we published a book called it's available on Amazon uh, and it's called the UFO beat. And it's it's a really two, great book to hunt to all 238 articles, 237 of them were published. I was you know, never, I was never censored, but I did have one article spiked. Uh, the, the, the dead spike. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the, the, the spike uh, that the editor says, eh, we're not publishing it. Now, uh-huh. I said, did I do something wrong? Are you censoring me? He says, no. See, I'd been at that point writing the article, the column for about three years. Mm-hmm. And they said, I wrote this really snarky article about um, what, what disclosure might look like. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we thought a few years ago, thought it might happen sooner. And then, and it hasn't happened actually. Right. And um, I wrote the article, and it was very snarky. And what ended up happening was that um, uh, the editor came back and says, "No, you've been doing this for three years now. We feel that you've established a, a, a tone of gravitas. We don't want anything to demean that." Wow. So the only place it's ever appeared is in my in my book. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and I mean now in like sort of hindsight, when you look back through that, maybe in a more editorial lens, do 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 you agree with what their interpretation was then? If, oh, if now I do. Yeah. Being snarky? yeah, now I do. Uh huh. And the goofy thing is, is that um, that's what we're actually starting to see. I I told people what mm-hmm. it's going to be is as soon as we got the thing where it's something really official, you know, and and here's Mister Kozuna from God knows where, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, it's we're going to the the off-worlders are going to be the media darlings they're going to be on good morning america they're going to be on all the major shows okay uh we're going to have products that have a spin on it oh wow this is a new scent for perfume from da da you know and uh it's going to be all that stuff you know you're going to have guys like travis walton and uh whitley streber on good morning america with the people who abducted them kind of a conciliatory show you know this kind of thing right and and um but when you think about it that's exactly what's going to go down right okay yeah. if you know anything about the media and you yeah. know like i said like you said i got a degree in media and i know just how they think yeah it and it feels like uh you know who knows when that's going to be but it, it the tea leaves uh, are are reading pretty clear aren't they yeah they they are um most people feel that uh, the government's not being square with us. And there's that about uh, 20, let's see, there's, according to polling data, 16.74% say they have seen a UFO. Now that does not track with the amount of actual reported sightings. Yeah. Um, Interesting. And we waited, uh, we didn't believe that first poll because of Fox Pictures had done mm-hmm. it back in 2017 and okay. then in 2019 Gallup poll did a similar kind of poll and they asked that same question have you seen the ufo and it tracked out to this 16 uh, percent thing so um with two polling pieces of polling data we figured that was a comfortable metric to work with and we started playing with it statistically and what it works out to is one in about okay you can't just the i'm going to say this blanket one in 250 people reports what they see. Okay. But what it worked out to is you had to do every state by itself against its adult population, adult oh. population, not total population. Yeah. So it, it was as little on the bell curve as one in 150 people to yeah. as much on the far end of the curve, one in 475, something like this. And the, the top of the bell curve was sitting up there around 250, 255 up at the top of the bell. So mm. we, we usually just call it, you know, uh, one in 250 people reports what they see. Yeah. Right. And reports what they see, not, not exactly those who have experienced something, but for whatever reason, a multitude of reasons, will never report or will report way, way, way after the fact on their deathbed or something strange. Um, you see that. Um, there was a metric once reported by Project Blue Book, and we even talk about it in the, the, the newer version of our statistics book, uh, UFO Sightings Desk Reference 2001 to 2020. Yeah. Um, and uh, there, how do I want to say this? Um, there's a there's a phenomena known as somebody uh, there's a well-reported ufo sighting makes it in the press well 
the press really hasn't re been reporting UFOs since 1968. Yeah, okay, the, right. the Dr. Eugene Condon report to Congress kind of told everybody, oh, don't, there's nothing to this, don't report them in the paper. Don't yeah. spend money on the government. Uh, the government don't spend money. Oh, don't give grants to, to academia to research it. There's nothing here. Okay. Right. These aren't, these aren't the things you're looking for, so to speak. And um, uh, my general attitude is made Dr. Condon rotten hell uh, <laughs> because he has put our country uh, some 50 years behind the eight ball because we haven't been researching this stuff. Yeah. Okay. But the bottom line on that is, is that, um, Usually when there's a sighting and if, got, if it gets any amount of local press, there is also a spike in, in sighting reports reported to the reporting services over the next, say, week or month. Okay. Now, are they copycats and fakes? No. And what, what, I, what we discovered was they seem to be people said, wow, maybe I should not. I know where I can report that thing to that national UFO reporting center or MUFON, whatever. Uh, maybe I should report that one I had a month ago or three right. months ago or last year. And so there's a lot of retro reporting goes on. Yeah. Oh, that makes total sense because, you know, if you have just conversation, I mean, there's a lot of people that will share their experiences with me. And one of the questions that I will ask them, if it's anomalous in nature in this degree, you know, have you reported it somewhere? And more often than not, they have not. And it's usually because they don't know where to report stuff. Yeah, that, that's a that's a that's a very big issue. Um, also, lack of uh, rural, rural what we call rural broadband mm -hmm. is also an impacting favor. In fact, we call that one of the um, uh, one of the drivers to UFO sightings. Um, uh, population is a driver. Everybody kind of knows that, but then we found out that temperate weather was a major issue. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we found that um, uh, temperate weather, and I'm going to draw a blank here, but there were like five things that were your, your, um, your major drivers. But in this new book, we actually added uh, access to broadband because one night I was on a radio program. We were on a commercial break. And I had my first book laying in my lap and I had never really looked at some of the tables and maps we had generated. <laughs> okay. We were just in a hurry to publish this thing. I really sure. didn't study it. And I was laying there during a the commercial and there it was on my lap. And I noticed that the States that touched the great lakes all had sightings in the many thousands moved two States away. And it was in the low hundreds. And those hmm. turned out to be Midwestern or Western rural states and oh, then wow. we started looking around in in other states and we started um this is more recent uh studies uh we can now it used to be in our first book we could only plot it down to the state and county level uh we can now plot maps down to the zip code level <laughs> okay um there was like there's like um 41,600 uh, zip codes and and we have ufo sighting reports from um uh something like 18,400 something like that okay no. and um county wise okay there's like 3200 counties in the united states and only 80 of them didn't report ufos from 2001 <laughs> to 2020 <laughs> It's amazing. And, and I, I send maps like this to people in Congress um, uh -huh. this past um, late spring, early summer, uh, back when all the UFO uh, videos were being released, Jerry Corbell's people were released, yeah. releasing all these things from uh, leaked stuff from the Navy. Right. And um, Linda and I had just pu finished publishing the, the pink book. And uh, we said, okay, we're going to do something. So I sat there over the next couple of days and I decided to send a copy of our book along with whoever was the head of like the, the, the Senate select Intel committee and the house select Intel committee. And at the time it was uh, 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 Senator Rubio in the Senate. And of course sure. we know his bill got a lot of this stuff kickstarted yeah. and I sent him, it was a five pound package. It was our book, which is an inch and a half thick, weighs about two and a half pounds. And I did a printout of Florida, which is the number two state in the country. It was like 11,700 sightings, something like that. And I printed it out, but I printed it out, a printout right down to the zip code level for 20 years. Everything that happened within that zip code over a period of 20 years across the page type of thing. Okay. Yeah. So that printout was an inch and a half thick by itself. 
<laughs> and so we put that in a little three ring binder boxed it up and shipped it to him, did the same thing for the house Intel committee. And that guy was a New York state guy, New York state being my beat. Oh, I was more than happy to put that in there. Yeah, and we right, gave him a nice right. little tight, little tight, terse, very professional um, executive letter on the thing with a quick summary mm-hmm. and said, if you guys decide the whole congressional or, or house or Senate or house hearings on this topic matter, Linda and I are the civilian experts on statistics. Yeah. Right. What would be the contents of some of your executive summary for that for that data that you're presenting to them? How how fine tooth did you did you okay. make that? We made did it in four sentences. Uh, from 2001 to 2020, the United States had 167,632 reported sightings, uh, at an average of about. Um, I'm going to draw a blank here. Bear with me a minute. Uh, uh, it was, it, it, we gave them an average. It was like mm-hmm. uh, 2,100 per year, so many per month. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it comes down uh, to a, a small, it comes down to a smaller number type of thing. And then um, because there was their specific state, we also gave them a quick summary for their state. So say it was like Washington state, um, Washington state in the 20 year period, 2001 to 2020, uh, 7,157 reported sightings. That's an average of about 357 per year, about 29, we'll say it 30 a month, uh, about seven a week and about an average of one per day. (laughs) That's so cool. Did you hear that? Washington State listening to this live on KKNW. Washington State is number in the past 20 years right now at the end of 2020 is the number four state in the country for sightings. Mm. It it goes, it goes California, Florida, Texas, which are the top three, and they've been stable at the top three for the past since 2006. After that, the next seven states are usually are are, um, playing musical chairs. Okay. okay. Every, uh, every year. So I, we've been reporting these things since 2015. So every year at the end of the, the year, we would go ahead and bring in the additional numbers from MUFON and New Fork and then put add them into the database. It didn't always publish it, but you know, we would publish it on like on radio shows like this the type of thing. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's amazing. Um, everyone needs to grab this book, uh, really all of your book. But uh, you refer to it as the big pink book, right? Because yeah, if it you is. Go, it's a big pink you, book. If you go onto Amazon, if you're searching for it, go to Amazon, go to books. It's Cheryl with a C, Costa with a C, okay, C-O-S-T-A. And if you go to uh, go into books and say Cheryl Costa, uh, you'll see, uh, or and maybe put UFO after the name, uh, you'll see three books come up. You'll see uh, a white book, 2000, uh, it's the UFO Sightings Desk Reference 2001 to 2015. You'll see the pink book, which is 2001 to 2020. That's our latest book. And you'll see the UFO Beat, which is all my articles. And your spouse, Linda, is uh, the, the senior scientist involved in that project. Yes. And can you describe a little bit about uh, your guys' you know, sort of uh, how we did that. partnership, how you did that, how you okay. split the duties? When I was writing my newspaper column, people think, wow, it must be cool to have a newspaper column, right? It's a 500 to 1,000 word term paper due every Thursday. <laughs> okay, think of it that way, okay? Right. And, and did and, you like school? You know what I mean? I graduated in the lower quarter of my class. Okay. Um, but that said, uh, I was told many years later, uh, I, I'm a trans woman. And when I went through my gender change 30 years ago, the Hopkins people looked at me and said, you should be a member of Mensa. You've got this exceedingly high IQ. And I said, how come I was flunking out of high school? And they said, because you were bored, you know? <laughs> so, you know. so, okay, fine. Um, the deal was, is I would be writing articles. And then I'd hit a week when I'd be stiff on, I, God, I don't know what to write this week. And she would mm. say, well, you haven't looked at da-da-da-da. Mm. And usually that would get me going. Yeah. And I would, I would say, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. And I, I'd dive into it, do some crash research and not, uh, knock up 500 to 1,000 words. Okay. <laughs> and uh, we had done, because New York State was my beat for the news, for that newspaper, um, we had done something nobody else had ever done. 
we added up all the sighting. If most of the things you see reported out there in UFO land are usually yeah, a story here or the great story there, you know. And um, in fact, if you look at stuff that's posted like on social media, it seems to be a, per, a per, sounds like an FM radio station. The great UFO sightings from the 40s, 50s, and 60s, you know, that kind <laughs> <Right>. of thing. <laughs> and um, and that everybody's all hung up on stories. So um, Linda and I had done New York State and we added up the counties. Now, we found out that MUFON had county data, if you pulled the raw, raw data, and we got them to do that for us. You know, we didn't know names, just the, uh, what, when, where, what shape. That's all we, and the date, okay? Sure. And um, people keep calling me up, well, we want your database, and they think there's all great stories in it, and it's not. All, all we've got is the raw data, Yeah. okay? And um, we did the same thing with uh, New Fork. And the goofy thing was people would say, well, you know, um, uh, New Fork, they told me put a pin in the map they didn't collect county data and mufon did but it was dependent on the person who was making the report oh. okay and uh, and the sad story to tell you is um 3.5 percent and this is uniform between both databases of people who make a ufo report don't tell you what city they're in really yeah 14 percent don't spell it right <laughs> I mean, we're thinking all capital letters, a space in front of the the city, uh -huh. uh, mixed case letters, okay, misspelled names of cities, or they'll say um, Seattle, Washington, next to Joe's Pizzeria. They, uh, they can't sort. I'm a retired IT analyst, you know. You can't yeah. sort on stuff like that. So in um, during the lockdown. Linda and I were kind of preparing the, the COVID lockdown. We were preparing for our 2020 edition. Yeah. And we realized that we had this really bad hole. We could not get down to the municipal level mm -hmm. because these, these city names were, were spelled wrong. Yeah. So what we did was we got a golden email list, colored it, dragged, dragged the data down into Excel, merged the information up and then spent, uh, see, from the second week of August, 2020, uh, 2019 to the first week of January in 2020. <laughs> I, I was putting in an eight hour, I was putting a 40 hour weekend, just like I would, I was like going, I'm re technically retired. And yeah. it was like going back to work at Lockheed every yeah, day. Back on the clock. <laughs> correcting 800 to 1200 lines worth of the database, correcting spelling. Of course, while we were at it, we figured we're correcting the spelling, correcting the, the county, that kind of thing. We added that longitude and zip code since uh -huh, the information right. was there while you're in there. Yeah. The, yeah. In fact, I wish I had more metadata. I wish I had added FIPS code, which is the codes they give every single County, but I wasn't right. smart enough to do that. <laughs> so the bottom line was Linda and I had done all this stuff for uh, New York state. And we started taking some old school, retired, former New York state uh, MUFON investigators or state directors and started showing them our data, you know, mm. from just New York state, 2001 to 2015. And they're going, we didn't know there was a cluster there. We didn't know there was a cluster there either, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, and wow. uh, suddenly everybody's eyeballs were popping out. So by the end of 2015, Linda and I were, it was October of 2015, we were at our favorite pub and it's an Irish pub. And we were sitting there staring at each other across a couple of pints. We said, what if we did the whole country? And that's <laughs> how this, she suggested it, you know, and I said, wow, it's going to probably take us a year. It took us 18 months. Yeah. Okay. But we didn't know what we were doing, but being good defense contractors, uh, you know, we we're both retired contractor, government contractors, beltway bandits, as they call them in the trade. Yeah, sure. And what we did was um, the first rule of government contracting, do as little work as possible. Okay. <laughs> so what you do, what that means is if you do something, keep really good records, what it took to do it, write a process procedure. If they ask you to do it again, you can do it in half the time. Yeah. Right. Okay. Or less. Okay. Right. So um, after we, things that took us two months to do back in 2016 to make the first book. I can do in a week now. Oh, okay. Amazing. Things that took me a, 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 a week to do then I can do in a morning now. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's amazing. So it, it, the hard thing was we, we've got a, a, a you know, sitting there 
printouts stuck in plastic protectors. You know, we've got a written process for how to crunch this data, you know? So when we went to go, instead of having to do 2000 or actually closer to 2,500 hours to generate like the first book we had, okay. We generated this pink book, the 2001 to 2020, we generated it in under 800 hours. And most of that was simply publishing functionality, running the report, running the pro or making the PDFs of the reports and the tables and things that we had to generate because we'd already cleaned up the database, you know? Well, I love it. And it's, it's such a tool for whether you're a researcher, whether you're creating content around this stuff, whether you're an enthusiast, it's so cool to be able to go through and you're reading an old John Keel book or something and to cross reference some of the data that's collected in these books is so amazing. Um, Tip of the hat to John Keel. He was one of the first people to do this. Right. I mean, look at some of those old charts of his as well and some of his theories he about suffered, when those trends were happening. His, he, he was dead on a bunch of stuff. And he was way off based on other things. But the bottom line was he was suffering from a small database. He only had about 800 sightings that they cranked through at a big old 360 computer at one, some Colorado uh, university or college. Right. Um, we were dealing with the first book with 121,000. Okay. So that gave us a, that gave us a, a bigger spread to look at things and say, wow, maybe this is this. And Linda discovered that it was temper um, that UFO sightings are affected by temperate weather. Hmm. You know, um, yeah. I, I wasn't even looking at the charts when I was handing them to her. And she, one day she, we were putting book, putting the book together and she says, did you notice that there's a latitude? There's a difference in UFO sightings by latitude. And I'm going, huh? <laughs> you know, And, um, a lot of people, in fact, we did that with a monthly chart is what that was done with. And a lot of people told us, what are you putting a monthly sightings by month? That's stupid. You know, and if we hadn't put it on in there, we wouldn't have known this. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, it's amazing what data shows us and how well it illustrates certain scenarios. And, and uh, you know, listen, uh, Moneyball doesn't always work, but sometimes it does, too. Like there's beauty in data and it is so efficient in so many different ways, even if there is not uh, direct stories attached to the data that's being presented in this way. The stories are behind that. The stories are True. the overall picture of what these things are. Uh, Cheryl, we're, we're going to go to a quick break here and I'm going to ask you after this some other um, trends that perhaps were discovered and then dig a little bit more into, you know, your origin story with with the ufo phenomenon a little bit um we're also we're opening lines uh right after the break here you can join the conversation if you wish you can ask questions etc you can share your story 425-373-5527 or toll free 888-298-5569 you're listening to night drift i'm jim perry talk to you right after this Deeper into the night, Jim Perry is taking your calls at 425-373-5527 or toll-free in Western Washington, 888-298-KKNW-5569. To the rest of the world, lines are open. Call 425-373-5527 or toll-free in Western Washington, 888-298-5569. That's 888-298-KKNW. We're back here on Night Drift tonight. You can follow us on social media at UFAMET. 
And if you want more of the program, you can find it on the Euphemet feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We just dropped a new episode of the Euphemet featured documentary series over there. Check it out. For more information, visit euphemet.com. And do you have a paranormal experience that has changed your life? You can share it with me at jim at euphemet.com. And I'm back here with Cheryl Costa, and we're taking your calls at 888-298-5569. I understand, Cheryl, that you had a sighting yourself at an early age? I was 12. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, late August afternoon, uh, a couple of weeks before school started, um, we were, I was about 12 and uh, we were leaving my uncle's house, uh, uh, coming down off a hill where his farm was and uh, the, the corn was higher than the car. And uh, my mother had my father stop the car on the side of the hill and mm-hmm. pointed off into the Western sky, clear blue sky and parked out there like a rock was this uh, silvery spear, a sphere. Oh my God. Parked out there. And it sat there for 20 minutes. Uh, wow. we, we, we sat there for a good 15 watching it. And, um, uh, my mother said, well, at that point, let's see, this is 65 ish. So, uh, 1965. So it, NASA was only a few years old. Maybe it's something NASA's doing. Maybe it's the air force. Maybe it's a weather balloon. And then she right. looked at the 12 year old and said, you know, uh, maybe it's people from another world. And that, of course, fascinated me. So we got back on the road, got down to the bottom of the hill, turned left to head back on the state road to cut back to our hometown. And uh, I crawled up in that window, that big old Chevy Impala. They had big back windows in those days. And uh, I got up in the back window and I'm sitting there, head on my chin saying, who are you guys? Who are you guys? You know, Hmm. and when that thing decided to leave, I didn't see an effect like that again until like the late 80s, early 90s with one of the Star Trek movies. This thing's like took off, gone, you know, and there was like this flash, you know, and um, it changes you, you know, and as a budding teenager, you know, parents are stupid, you know, you know, (laughs) know? but that was one of the few things my mother and I could go to the library, go to the bookstore, something like that. We found a book about UFOs or something like that. We would share it with each other. One would read, it's kind of like a book report with each other. And that was one of the few things um, we could talk about and always be able to talk about no matter, you know, how badly I was grounded for something I did, you know, that kind of thing, you know, <laughs> right, um, right. even now, even now I'm, I'm disowned and disinherited from my family for, for uh, two things. Okay. I'll be honest about this. Um, both for the UFO side of it. Okay. Being kind of prominent in UFO community, they didn't like that visibility. And the other mm-hmm. things I'm a card carrying witch. So they, they didn't like that either, <laughs> you know, right. and uh, they hate it even worse because I just put out a book about uh, magic and craft. So um, <laughs> they didn't appreciate that. But, uh, but if I were to call my mother and say, Hey, I've got a really cool UFO sighting. She'll take that call. Wow. But we can't talk about anything else. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, uh, she must be proud of the big pink book, right? I couldn't tell you. I haven't talked to her. Yeah. I know she got a, I know a copy was sent to her. My publicist sent her a copy, but, you know, I haven't heard beans about it, you know. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, we are we are talking about the UFO sightings desk reference, United States of America, 2001 to 2020. You know, I was also curious, when you go back through some of that data, or even as you were collecting it, you know, for, for, for you and Linda, what was one of the most surprising things you found within that data? Uh, the, I think the thing, two things shocked us the most. Uh, one that there was, we discovered that there was a, uh, a latitude difference in the amount of sightings. Like if you're in a Northern state, we'll say like Washington state or New York state or New England mm-hmm. or something like that. There's, um, there's a quiescent amount of sightings all year long from about, May, June, July, uh, let's say uh, uh, June, July, August, September, it peaks up, it goes up, it goes, it goes up through the roof. Mm. Okay, with July and August being through the top. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then it falls off going into the fall. And then by by late October, it's that quiescent amount of sightings that just happened year round. Uh, we found out that those sightings were dog walkers and smokers. Yeah. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah. Honest sure. to goodness. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, uh, they're out there year in, year out. I talk to MUFON investigators and they say uh, frequently when they look at a month's worth of sightings in a text file, they'll, they'll scan for smoke and dog, you know, they, <laughs> because these people are out there continuously. Um, the other thing we were kind of impressed with was, well, I shouldn't say impressed with, was um, a lot of people kept coming to us, knew what we were working on and saying, well, did you take out all the kooks, nuts and crackpots? Mm. Well, we were working with just straight data. So there was yeah. like, not like we were analyzing and vetting every single sighting. Right. Okay. So we do it statistically. I'll give you an example. Uh, United States of America had 1,600 630, uh, sorry, 167,632 sightings, <coughs> excuse me, over the 20 years. Mm -hmm. People say, well, they can't all be real. Okay. So uh, we said, okay, tell you what, we'll throw 70% away. Mm, yeah. Okay. Well, 30% leaves us with 50,289. Over 20 years, that's about 2,500 a year. Yeah. It's about 210 a month. This is for the country now, or about 48 per week for the country, or about seven per day for the country. Yeah. On average. Okay. Right. I'll give you an example Washington State, 30% uh, would be 2,147 for 20 years. Uh, an average of 107 a year, about nine a month and about two a week. Hmm. Okay. If you do that, say that 30% is a, a better number and throwing 70% of the sightings away for being something wrong with them. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting that, that, uh, that strategy too. And I wonder, you know, from a, from a data analyst perspective, if, uh, if accounting for, you know, what may be 70% there that are, you know, um, unsubstantiated, maybe like kooks or, or not accurate, um, would there also be a process of accounting for the individuals that we suspect may have had sightings that just just won't ever report it? Okay, yeah, um, that was a hard one to look at. And then uh, in 2017, Fox Pictures released a movie. It was a horror movie, kind of set with a, the backdrop of the Phoenix Lights. Oh, okay, right. mm -hmm. and uh, it, it hinted that these teenagers were abducted. Okay, yeah. okay, but they did a poll. And uh, the poll came up this usual same data, 36% say uh, believe in UFOs, 42% were on the fence and 17% thought it was hogwash. Right. But they, that's a typical polling number from the last 15 or so years. But they also ask an additional question. Have you ever seen a UFO? Yeah. And it amounted to 16, a little over 16%, 16% and change. Um, of adult Americans say they'd seen a UFO. Yeah, now, 16% wow. of adult Americans was about 42 million people. Mm -hmm. uh, that didn't wash with only 167,000 mm -hmm. sightings. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we, we weren't comfortable with that metric. Then yeah. in September of 2019, Gallup poll did a similar thing. And they came up with that same 16% say they'd seen a UFO. So we felt comfortable with the metric. So we started cranking the data and it amounts to, you have to do it for every single state and every single state's adult population against that state's sighting. So on one bottom of the uh, low bottom of a bell curve, it's like a one in 175 people reports it on the far end of it, it's one in 475 people reports it in the top of the bell curve sat around 100, uh, 201 in 250 people reports what they see. The actual number is one in 254. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's so wild. Um, Listen, let's let's take a detour if sure. you're okay with this. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, first of all, will you come back? I'll just put you on the spot here. Will you will you come back on this program? Sure, this anytime. This is so, easy. This is this so is much easy. fun. Um, and and I, for your listeners, if they want to ask me a question on this show or the next show, short of my ATM pin, I'll tell them anything you want to know. <laughs> Very good. There you go. You you've heard it. Um, listen, you know I I. I, uh, you reminded me that you're, you're a witch and we have many witches. We have many mystics. Uh, we have many shamans that, that, that come and participate in this program, whether it's on night drift or whether it is, you know, euphemet feature. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but I wonder, you know, given your background, 
And given that you've compiled uh, such a robust data set um, that's very statistical, that's very, uh, you know, sort of logical and scientific, um, you know, for for someone like myself that, that also believes that, you know, there are things within the world that we that we can't quite understand and that that magic has an inherent power that mm -hmm. that, that that is authentic right mm -hmm. how uh I, I would love like just to hear your impression of how you sort of um tie those two worlds together uh, also as a journalist right how you how you mm -hmm. tie your worlds together uh to create i mean do you do you have a philosophy in regards to ufos and our relationship to magic okay yeah i do um, in fact, the number of shows in the last couple of years, uh, you know, we get a lot of these podcasts go for two hours and the hosts have basically figured out that I'm this mystical person. So we'll talk mm -hmm. for, um, uh, th three half hour segments on straight up UFO sightings and, and, uh, you know, theory and, and the numbers and all this stuff, and then spend the last half hour on the, uh, on the consciousness mystical side, mm -hmm. uh, the woo woo side sure. of, of UFOs. Um, <laughs> okay. The, okay. Let's say it this way. There's a thing that's well known in the UFO, or not in UFO, but in the um, magical community. About 70% of the people in the magical community work in high tech or scientific jobs. Yeah. And if it wasn't real, they wouldn't be monkeying around with it. Okay, point one. Point two, those of us who teach it on the more mystical end, I spent seven years in a Buddhist monastery. I did a, uh, a midlife sabbatical. Okay, oh, and I lived in a Buddhist monastery. I still went to work every day at, at Lockheed Martin, dressed like the Dalai Lama with a buzz cut, you know, and uh -huh. uh, pushed their diversity policy to the bleeding edge. <laughs> right. um, and the, the thing was, um, I treat it as very advanced quantum physics because it, magic really does work very much like quantum physics once you take all the, uh, all the um, stuff that what i'm going to call what the horror movies make you think magic is yeah right okay uh you don't need gods and goddesses to practice magic okay to, to execute magic it takes a clear focused mind which means you should meditate learn how to meditate now traditional witches hey they use crystal balls to concentrate and kind of zone themselves out or they use candles to focus on the candle being thing to kind of numb their mind down so they can do this but if you just take on modern 21st century techniques for meditation and force yourself with like bioral technology that type of thing um you can do a much better job of doing it but the bottom yeah. line is in fact, the new book I just wrote, uh, released back in January, it's called um, Magical Musings of a Rogue Witch. Okay. And I basically teach nothing but magical mechanics in it. Um, there's, a, there's an understanding uh, within, the, especially in some Wicca traditions, and the one I was in, uh, that says, um, as you retire, and I had I have over 44 years in the craft. As you retire, you should write a book. Some people write spell books. Some people write memoirs about their life in magic. Some write, people write a book about uh, how to organize covens and clans and circles and all that yeah. kind of thing. Okay. And I decided that nobody had really done a purely non-secretarian view of how to execute magic. Hmm. And my 144 pages, which is a rather small book, but it, it basically cuts right to the heart of it and says, this is, these are the elements you need and this is how it works. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. And I think the next time you're on the program, and that's we need, available. We need to talk about that. That's available on Amazon. You go up there, Cheryl Costa, um, uh, magic, and you'll see it there or whatever. Um, it's a cheap book too. And, uh, I've actually been selling more more copies of it in Europe than I have here in the states so far. It's really weird. Yeah, it's fascinating. But what but, has what has been like sort of the exchange that you? We only have a few minutes here left. I know. What what is some of the exchange that you've seen between the UFO community and the the, the magical community, the witch community? Have, have well, you seen much of that within your yes, audience? Yes. 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 Actually, I was on a, a program a couple of weeks ago. It was a all day broadcast of uh, women in UFOology. Mm -hmm. okay and um we must have had 25 women in, in panels of uh, two hosts and then a panel of typically uh, four to five women per hour mm -hmm. okay that were brought on and on my particular hour um uh 
four of us were witches, you know, so <laughs> funny how that worked out, you know, and, um, but the bottom line is, is that we understand that there's bigger things out there. Um, and UFOs can be more explained in the man in magical terms. They, let's say it this way. They didn't always come here in tin cans read about them in the bible they didn't come here in flying saucers they right. came in flaming chariots you know you know it, it there's a perception of how they're seen by us and i if you talk to people who do ce5 stuff they're reaching out they're meditating reaching out with joyous thoughts come visit us that type of thing and they're getting results yeah. So the, the trick is, is we're not going to get them on radio sets, but we're going to probably be able to touch them at, at the, at the conscious level, since we're all connected to every, every, we're connected to every living thing, everywhere, every win in the universe. I love it. I love it, Cheryl. It's such a great message. And uh, I love that, you know, uh, uh, folks can go and experiment with CE5 uh, consciousness uh, work. And then when someone disagrees with them, uh, they can just slap the pink, the big pink book right in front of the person and go, no, look at this. Yes. <laughs> um, so <laughs> uh, wh where can everyone find your work? Okay. Uh, if we got all most of it published. Uh, if you go to Amazon, go to the books, uh, book section, put in Cheryl Costa, Cheryl with a C, Costa with a C, and it'll take you in uh, the, the three UFO. If you put UFO after Costa, when you put that in there, you'll get the three UFO books, which is the, the white book from 2001 to 2015, the pink book, which is 2001 to 2020. It's the latest book uh, the UFO beat, which is all my newspaper stories that we wrote about the topic. And uh, if you want a magic book about the mechanics of magic uh and uh, metaphysics um that book's in there too in that in that same area uh it's uh magical musings of a rogue witch and uh that's like i said it's a new book and it's up there it's a small book and it's cheap so fantastic well everyone go and run and get that thank you so much for joining us cheryl uh, hopefully the first of many times and and thank you for listening to night drift everybody i'm jim perry we'll see you next sunday thank you so much Follow Night Drift with Jim Perry on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes.